Salwate de Schipoli, and welcome again to another episode of Latin in Layman's. Today, um, I'm going to be taking a new Greek myth, and I'm going to be talking about the Greek myth in kind of a story format. And then after that, we're going to talk about really the moral implications um, embedded within the myth, as well as just kind of talking about the myth. Maybe it might pertain to our modern world, maybe it might not so much, uh, but you know, that's that's the deal with uh, myths. It really depends on who's telling the story. So, you know, as they say, um, Helios and Phaeton. So Helios was the, the, the father of Phaeton. And um, some people say it was Apollo who actually brought up the sun each day. Some people say that it was Helios. Still others believe Helio, Helios and Apollo were actually the same god. Um, that's the thing about these myths. It all really depends on who's telling the story, like I said. Uh, that's what I like to tell my students. Myths kind of change. They don't always stay standardized. They change depending on who's telling the story. So w the way that I might be telling the story is maybe a little bit different than how you've been known or uh, you've known the story to be, or maybe you've never heard of it. And this is a new one for you to understand. Um, so if you are curious about a little bit of a story time and all that good stuff, then I urge you to stick with me and uh, we'll learn something new together and have a good time. And uh, yeah, story time, chill, sit back. I don't know, pop, pop open a glass of uh, bubbly water. I don't know. And uh, yeah, with that being said, let's get on into it. All right. So as the story goes... Once upon a time, a long, long time ago, way off in a faraway land, there was a boy named Phaeton. Phaeton was the son of Helios. Both father and son had curly golden hair and sparkling bright eyes. Both bragged about how the other, about the other all the time, rather. Helios thought his son was the brightest and bravest kid in the world. He named his son Phaeton because Phaeton meant brilliant or shining in the ancient Greek language. Phaeton was equally proud of his dad. He thought his dad had the most important job in the world. His dad jo dad's job was to bring out the sun each and every day. If the sun did not come up, the crops would die and everyone would starve. Each morning, the hours, his dad's servants would harness four white horses to the most splendid golden chariot. It was so splendid that it even had a nickname. The people called it the Sun Chariot. Each morning, without fail, his dad would leap aboard his golden sun chariot and begin his perilous journey across the sky. It's not easy to haul a burning sun behind a chariot even a special golden chariot without even getting burnt yourself maybe from time to time. No matter how tired he was, though, or how jarred by the jerking of the chariot he was, his dad, Helios, always managed to reach every corner of the earth to bring light and warmth to all the crops and all the people and everything on earth every single day. In the evening, 
after his dad had tucked the sun out of sight to give the sun time to rekindle, he returned home, weary but quite content, I would say. Each evening, he would gather his beloved son and his equally equally beloved wife and daughters, and together they would watch the moon appear in the sky. The next morning, without fail, his dad would leap again aboard his glowing chariot and fly off to bring out the sun. Phaeton bragged about his father to everyone who listened, and even sometimes to those who were not listening all the time. He bragged about the golden chariot. He bragged about the four wild horses. He bragged that one day his father would let him drive the chariot across the sky. Phaeton bragged so much that after a while his friends no longer believed him. They knew his dad brought up the son, but they did not believe his dad would turn over such an important job to simply this mere boy, not even for one day even. The job was too important to risk. First, his friends began to tease Phaeton. Then, after a while, his friends began to scatter away as Phaeton approached. They were just tired of his incessant bragging. Phaeton begged his father to let him drive the chariot. He knew he was ready, or at least he thought he was ready. He knew he could handle the horses, or at least he thought he could. He knew he could do the job without even getting burnt himself. But mostly, he wanted to prove to his friends that his father trusted him enough to give him the reins. Finally, one evening, exhausted by his son's perpetual pleading, his father said yes. The next morning, Phaeton eagerly climbed aboard the golden chariot. He took the reins tightly in his hands. The horses knew at once that the driver was not the capable Helios. They jerked and reared, but Phaeton hung tightly to the reins. Phaeton caught the sun up behind him on his first swing by and began to drag the sun across the sky. Bursting with pride, he dipped down towards earth. He wanted his friends to see him, but he flew too close. The hot sun began to dry up oceans and rivers and left deserts in their place. He was flying too close to the earth. When Phaeton realized his mistake, his eyes widened with panic. He yanked the reins to pull the horses higher in the sky. He pulled really hard. The horses reared in anger at being jerked so hard. The reins were ripped from Phaeton's hands. The runaway chariot tore across the sky, burning a trail behind it, a trail some called the Milky Way. The horses slowed finally to an amble and turned towards home, eager for oats. High on Mount Olympus, Zeus, the king of the gods, was sitting outside on his front porch, He'd been enjoying his breakfast, his coffee, his tea, whatever. But now he was watching the sky and he was like, whoa, what the heck is going on? Something was definitely wrong. He looked, it looked like Helios' horses were headed for home, but it was too early for them to go home. And there was kind of a big mess in the whole sky alongside. He was wondering, could Helios have fallen asleep? So with that, Zeus hurled a lightning bolt of the chariot as it flew by to wake Helios up. 
Instead, it hit the side of the chariot with incredible force. The chariot tilted. Something or someone dropped out of the chariot and fell into the Po River. Zeus called for his magical horse Pegasus. They quickly caught up with the sweating horses, who had slowed nearly to a stop. Pegasus took the lead. Zeus grabbed the reins. Together, Zeus, Pegasus, and the four white horses finished dragging the sun across the earth. By the time they had tucked the sun in for the night, Zeus was in a raging temper. Pegasus had been nipped three times, which did not help matters uh, by any means. Zeus roared towards Ethiopia, where Helios kept his palace. Once Zeus understood the young boy Phaeton had been driving and had probably been what Zeus had noticed dropping out of the chariot of the, uh, into the Po River, Zeus sent Hermes to organize a search party, but it was no use. Phaeton had disappeared. No one knew if he had drowned or where he had gone. Perhaps he made it to shore and he was hiding, ashamed. No one ever heard from him again. In my opinion, I'm pretty sure he died because he probably fell a long ways. And if you guys know about physics, if you fall a certain amount of height and you create a certain amount of velocity, that water turns pretty much into, uh, uh, well, the the molecules themselves that are stuck together almost basically stick together and are co as cohesive as uh, concrete, essentially, when you approach it at a certain velocity. And let's just say that he probably achieved that velocity and accelerated past it. But I ramble. As for Helios and his family, their sadness was great. Some say his daughters cried so much that Zeus, as punishment for Helios's bad judgment, changed his daughters into poplar trees and lined the Po River. Some insist it's only the wind, but others say you can still hear them crying even to today. Helios continued to bring out the sun, but his heart wasn't in it anymore. He flew too high and like clouds cover the earth. The, uh, the earth suffered gloomy days after gloomy days. He flew too low and burned rivers down to creeks. Finally, Zeus had to intercede. He made Helios give up his job, and the job had been made that, that had made him so proud, rather, and gave the job of bringing out the sun each day to his own son, Apollo. Some say Zeus gave a golden chariot to Apollo. If he did, it probably was not Helios's chariot. According to one version of the ancient myth, Helios gave his splendid chariot to Hades in exchange for a favor that Hades, the god of the underworld, would keep an eye out for his young son, Phaeton. And that's the story. And with that being said, let's talk about it a little bit. All right, so like, well, cautionary tales about maybe, you know, like I've talked about in the past, hubris and kind of challenging the nature of maybe the divine. And in this case, Helios was a god. And, uh, you know, when you challenge the nature of the, you know, divinity, um, that's not something that you want to do as a mortal because then you're going to reap what you sow, as you can see with uh, our boy here. But, um, you know, it is what it is. Also, when I, you know, 
I talk about how all these myths are ideological, ideological meaning that they explain the unexplainable, right? And a lot of the time, the the this myth here, especially when Phaeton loses control and he's trying to come closer to the Earth so that his friends can uh, see him and all that good stuff. Um, you know, that is actually uh, one of the places where he actually got too close is where we actually have the Sahara Desert, essentially, because he literally just scorched the earth. And that's that's why we had that large, vast desert is because of Phaeton, essentially. Um, you know, like I say, they're all ideological. You know, they explain the unexplainable. Why do we have the Sahara? Because Phaeton was a little bit of a dummy dump. Um, also, like in the modern world, the myth is particularly relevant in the context of environmentalism in general, right? Especially because when Phaeton died, Helios was pretty sad still, and he kind of started to not treat his job as well as he could have. And you kind of saw that, you know, there were gloomy days, there were, you know, days where he flew too close to the sun or the, the earth and rivers, you know, dried up to creeks and maybe acequias and you know, then turning into Arroyos, if anything, I don't know, just trying to do a little Southwestern um, plug there. Um, but just as Phaeton's actions threatened really the stability of the universe, humanity's recklessness and exploitation of the Earth's resources threatens to our delicate balance of the ecosystem as well. That's what I kind of think of. I think that humanity is kind of Phaeton right now. The way that we're treating the Earth is kind of showing why the Earth is continually rebelling again against us now i mean don't tell me that we aren't having pretty weird freak weather events nowadays and um if you don't agree with me then you're living under a rock and uh sorry uh you should probably get out from underneath that rock uh, also the myth of phaeton reminds us the importance of humility and respect right for ourselves, the natural world, and the consequences of our actions if we fail to heed these lessons, or really understanding our capabilities and not challenging things that are past our our nature, that are beyond, there, that are metaphysical, right? That are really only the job of the divine. So really the myth of Phaeton and the Sun Chariot is this kind of timeless tale that continues to resonate with audiences today, showing these moral implications uh, to service warnings, warnings against danger, the dangers of pride and arrogance, rather, and the associations with the modern world reminds us that the importance of uh, our importance of environmental responsibility. You know, we we need to understand that the world um, is burning up; it's getting hotter. The, the weather events are becoming more and more weird. Climate change is a thing. Don't at me. But like I, like I say, as I think about, as we continue to face new challenges and struggles, the myth of Phaeton provides us with a powerful reminder of the potential consequences of our actions. Remember, con meaning with, sequence coming from sequor in Latin, which means to follow. So consequences are what follows con with the actions that we take. And that it's really important to be, to be humble in this life. Um, 
we really lack humility nowadays. Everybody's all about their opinions and the way that they think is being the, the end all be all the correct way and that they're right and that everybody else is wrong and blah, blah, blah. And it's really not like that. It's not black and white like that. Um, I'm not going to be cliche and say that it's a bunch of shades of gray, but it kind of is in a way. Um, and for us to kind of just be so narrow minded, you know, I love however, especially like the people that I had always associated with open minded were only open minded to the people that, um, well, you know, we're only open minded to the people that share their same opinions. It reminds me of when I was going, I first started going to school up in University of Puget Sound. Um, like I used to be like, like here I am, I would say that I'm just a middle path kind of person now. I weigh everything, pros and cons, yins and yangs, being able to argue both sides of the spectrum in order to fully understand the points of view that I want to support. Um, I remember up at Puget Sound, you know, being in the PNW, there's quite a huge presence of uh, the social left. And I was a big, huge, as they used to call SJW, so social justice warriors. And I was a big one. I was very, like, very, like, in your face, um, you know, very, like, combative and reactive. And, and then I started to realize that, you know, everybody considered themselves open-minded like I had also, but then there would be like one Republican in the room. And then all of a sudden it would be like this, this gang mentality, this mob mentality where everybody that wasn't Republican just jumped on top of the person that was Republican and told them how they were wrong and that they were, you know, blah, blah, blah. And how, you know, it's, it, we will never be able to see eye, eye, eye across the aisle anymore. I truly believe that. We've gone too deep into this whole bipartisan BS where now we have a moral implication to a party. You know, one party is seen as being more moral than the other party, um, depending on which party you associate yourself with. I've mentioned this in the past, but I have read studies that have talked about why um, we, as Republicans and Democrats, we don't, we can't we can't work together like we used to back in, you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago. And the, the, the whole overarching um, analysis and results that had been compiled from these meta, it's a meta analysis of all these uh, studies is how back then Republicans and Democrats just saw each other as people that subscribed to a certain party. And that was that they didn't, equate some sort of moral standing to each party or whether you were um, more moral and ethical for being a Repo Republican versus being a Democrat and vice versa. Now we have people that are like, no, I'm a good person because I'm a Repo Republican. And then on the other hand, no, I'm a good person because I'm a Democrat and blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's too late. I don't think we can go back now. I really don't think we can. And if you guys think that we can, I, I love your optimism. I try to be optimistic, but um, sometimes it just, it, it fails. If, 
humanity fails me sometimes, and I'm sorry to say that, but um, there's just too much vitriol in this world. And not seeing each other as anthropologic as we should, right? That's, that's what the world is. That's what culture is. That's why these myths kind of, they kind of overlap with other myths in different cultures um, and different peoples because everybody has stories and means in order to kind of delineate um, the physical, to, to further understand because we as humans, we're always trying to understand what we don't understand. That's why we're always trying to figure out what the frick our meaning, the meaning of our life is, right? Is it 42? Is it six times seven? I don't know. But at the end of the day, we as humans, we're not okay with us just being in the unknown. We got to know or we got to subscribe some sort of idea in order for us to actually kind of delineate it. And that's what language does for us. Language just takes anything that is metaphysical and it makes it physical, right? That's why we have a word for God. We have a word for moksha or Brahman, you know? These things that are basically divinity, the divine reality, something that we can't really fully understand because it is divine in nature, but we have a word to actually describe it. But like I've said in the past, Islamic faith, as they had said, it's Yahweh, but you, when you write it down, you can't it's not meant to be spelt with the vowels because it's actually you're you're not meant to actually say the word Yahweh because when you actually say the word you are in turn limiting the metaphysical right if you don't have the word for something uh you can't you can't put it into parameters you can't put it into a paradigm or you know some sort of fixed thing it's very esoteric. It's very up for interpretation. It's very um, divine. So, uh, so yeah, I think that we need to understand that uh, dogma is just one of those things that we gotta let go of. Um, docs or dog comes from the Greek docs, which refers to um, the opinion. Or I'm sorry. All right. Nope. I got to look this up. I'm well, dogma is just basically a reiteration of because that ma refers to the opinion and then docs refers to um, correct or the right. It's basically means the, the correct or the right opinion. I'm going to keep you guys on as I type in etymology of dogma that I can give you guys the actual one. It actually comes from the assimilated version, dokien, which means seems good or to think, translating into dogma, which means opinion. But that dox, that's where we get orthodox. Ortho means upright. Dox means, um, well, let's figure this out. Because dogma in Latin means phys uh, uh, philosophical tenant. Dokeo means I... I seem good. Docs. Um, yeah, well, it just refers to the right opinion, essentially. Um, so it uh, the word dogma, I already don't like because 
it's already saying that it knows more than what it actually knows. And uh, it's already saying it's kind of like a it's a it, it's a prejudice word or uh, I I'm I'm not sure what I'm trying to say here. It's a word that's kind of trying to serve its own self, right? It's because the word is already saying uh, the correct opinion, and if the word itself is saying that the word is right, then yeah, I don't know. Anyways, that that's that's where we get dogma from people that think that their opinions are the right opinion and um, are unwilling and unwavering to look past that. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm ramble-bambling at this point. I should shut my face. But I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and I hope you learned something new. And I hope you had a good time just doing a little story time and kicking back and having some tea and some bubbly water and being like, yo, Liam, appreciate the story time. Appreciate the tying of moral implications. Let's do more of these. I don't know. What do you guys like? Let me know. I would love to do more of what you guys love. With that being said, let's go ahead and take a moment to look down, maybe at your thighs, maybe at your quads. Maybe you're looking at your your inner quad if you're looking wearing shorts, which I am right now, your inner quad, aka the vastus medialis, that teardrop muscle. And hey, you want to flex it. Maybe what you're going to do is you're going to take your foot that's actually planted on the floor and you're going to extend it. And then when you extend it, you hold it up and now it's parallel to the floor. And and uh, and yeah, and perp- perpendicular to your torso. And now you see how that vastus medialis that teardrop is getting engaged and now maybe you're also seeing your uh, rectus femoris your vastus intermedius and your vastus lateralis also engaging because those are all the four muscles that make up your quadriceps your quad meaning four seps referring to head your quadriceps are the four heads of the femur because we know that muscles are referred to as muscle heads right your biceps have two heads two muscle heads, the long head and the short head. All right. Yeah, I'm done now, but thank your body. Look down there and see how all of these neural networks, all of these electrical synapses are firing in order for you to actually relay all that information in a snap moment for you to actually extend your leg, flex those muscles and see anatomy working and physiology working right in front of your face. Pretty cool, huh? With that being said, you guys have a rock and awesome day. I'll catch you on the flip. Tempest says to scatter it.